So, Arena and I are just back from Poland. The Arena, Aaron and I got back just last Friday, just a little over a week ago, about this time last week. We were in Poland and uh, we were trying to get to the airport, get our, you know, get our final packing done, get through customs and security and all that kind of business. And, uh, and I would say that, you know, probably the toughest part of that trip, other than, you know, just emotionally and spiritually, there were some things that were challenging, just meeting people, but getting back over the jet lag has been an interesting sort of, uh, sort of thing for me. I think Aaron and Noreen are probably much more seasoned at this, but it took me, it's taken me probably about three or four days to get sort of back to normal. I, I, I don't know how many of you all were here on Sunday, but after I finished my sermon on Sunday at the 11 o'clock service, I almost collapsed in the pulpit. I was just so sleepy at that point. So now I know how y'all feel during one of my sermons. Um, <laughs> but it was, uh, but it, was very, it, it was very strange. When we first got back, Morgan was getting ready to head down to Florida for just kind of a mini college reunion with some of her roommates from college. They were going to Naples, Florida to a friend's grandmother's place down there. And so she said, I hate to do this to you, but I'm going to have to ask you to drive me to the airport at 4.30 this morning. You know, you just, got, you just flew in. I said, that's no problem. My, I, I was wide awake at 3 a.m. You know, that, that jet lag that you know, just had, it was not quite catching up with me yet, but, it was, but I was ready to go. And, um, and so I think I'm back on a normal schedule at this point. Arena, I hope you guys are too. Um, but it's, it's, been, uh, it's just been an incredible you know, couple of weeks. Um, this past Sunday, I preached about uh, the Poland experience, and we'll be doing that again in the 1102 service this week, just kind of taking that a little, be a little bit different service because uh, we do have communion this Sunday. But um, at some point, uh, Arena and I and Aaron hope to be doing a presentation uh, about the trip and talking about the things we learned, the things that, uh, that really were uh, important for you all to know. One of the things I was, uh, I was just saying a minute ago to someone was that, um, you know, a lot of times you go on a mission trip and you, you go and you come back and you're like, man, we worked really hard and these are the people we met and this is where we slept and, and this, these are the crazy things that happened and this is what we built or this is what we, the program that we did and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, and it was great. You know, we met, found this unreached people group and they all came to the Lord. I mean, it's just all this kind of stuff. That's the way mission trips tend to play out. Um, this one was different. This one was one of those trips where initially it was designed just to go and visit and to check up on, on some of our mission partners, see how we could encourage them, you know, just see how we could continue to vision God's plans together. But then, of course, the war began and it really did become about you know, being with people in a time of crisis. And so, so really this mission trip uh, and the mission reports that I've done have not been about, um, this is all the great stuff that we did. It's really about, y'all, this is what you need to know about our brothers and sisters in Christ, about what they're enduring, about what we're called to do, about how, about how God positioned us several years ago for this without us even knowing it. I mean, you know, this, this has been, this, this Eastern European mission has been kind of a, a little bit of a niche mission within our mission portfolio. And, and you know, there have been people who've been wonderfully interested in it. But, it, you know, when people think missions, they think about, you know, sort of broader based things, maybe even a little closer to home. But you know, they think about Africa, Latin America, places like that. And, and yet God positioned us several years ago to put us right on the edge, I mean, with a front row seat to one of the, I think most important mission fields for the next 50 years. And so this is, you know, this is one of those times where we're, where really this was kind of triage. We were, we were not going to fix or fulfill anything. Rather, we ended up kind of, kind of coming back with a report of, um, here's what we need to know. Here's what you need to know. And here's, here's how we believe God is calling us to serve. I want to say thank you to everybody who's been praying for us. We definitely felt it. Um, there were times when I definitely felt the, the shield of the Lord protecting us from the fiery darts of the enemy because there was plenty of spiritual warfare, even though we, never, we were never anywhere close to bombs or machine guns or anything like that. There was still plenty of spiritual fireworks going on. Um, Warsaw is an absolutely beautiful city. Um, and when we were there several years ago, at least last time I was there several years ago, Arena's been back since, but, uh, it, you know, just 
delightful place to be. Um, still a beautiful, delightful city, but uh, but very a very different mood, a very different tone in the air, and um, and so you know all of that is just is just stuff that you know we're going to sort of talk about more and more. This is this is going to be a long conversation, and and so I hope that that we can you know we can engage you all in different ways. Um, you know, there, uh, you all saw a video that I put together for the Sunday service, and that was kind of a sampling of some of the images that I just put together on the plane uh, on the way back. But, um, but uh, over the last couple of days, I've been going back and editing interviews that I did with some of the refugee folks that we met. And, uh, and it really, it, it, you know, before when I was actually capturing the video, when I was actually interviewing them, I was listening to them, but it was, you know, but my mind was also on things like, are they speaking into the microphone? Did I press record? Are they in focus? Do I know what I'm doing here? What, you know, what, what do I need to ask them? And now that I've really been able to go back and listen to them, it, it really just takes you to a whole different level. So thank you all for, for your support and your prayers. I wanna, I wanna highlight one of our mission partners, the Outreach Foundation that we met some representatives from the Outreach Foundation, um, which is based in Columbia, Tennessee, met them in Warsaw. They were in the process of visiting several places over there, and and then and then they went from Pol they went from Warsaw to pa uh, Pakistan to meet with some other mission partners. But um, they they've written some great articles on the Outreach Foundation website. It's, if you go to, to outreachfoundation.org uh, or just just look just Google search the Outreach Foundation in uh, Columbia, Tennessee, Nashville, Tennessee. Um, you'll see on their homepage several, several articles. And, um, and, it's, and it's great uh, because it shows, from their perspective, some of the things that are going on, but they also put it in a larger, in a larger global perspective. So I really do commend that to you. So thank you for all that. There's much more to come. Um, but, you know, and, and, and if we have any time, I'm happy, and uh, with Arena and I here, I'm happy to, to field questions at the end, but we are gonna we're gonna go back into Joshua today. Um, I heard that Becky did a good job for y'all last yeah, week. Yeah. yeah, maybe a little too good a job. People are saying, you know, Bob, if you wanted to alternate with her, or maybe just give it over to her completely. That'd be fine. Uh, so, uh, so I, I'm not gonna let Becky substitute anymore because I'm gonna lose my job if I do that. No, she's awesome. Thank y'all for uh, for being so receiving because to her because I know she really enjoys this and she is a fantastic teacher. So let's go ahead and let's open with a word of prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you again for drawing us together today so that we can study your servant Joshua, his story, his journey, and Lord, his relationship with you. We ask today that you would continue to inspire us with those words that occur over and over again in this book, to be bold and courageous, to be strong and courageous, to let us know that you are, you are with us and that just as you were with Moses, so will you be with us. So now, Lord, as we turning into your word, we ask you to just inspire us and to empower us. And we pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So this week and next week, we're going to be talking about two related chapters. Chapters 23 and 24 are, are really very closely related. And, and I'll explain um, a little bit more about that in a second. But, but they, you know, they really form one continuous speech. They, you know, it's kind of two parts of the same speech. And what kind of speech is this? Well, if you remember back to the days, to the very beginning of this course, when we, when we entered the study of Joshua, we started actually with a very brief overview of the book of Deuteronomy. And why do we study Deuteronomy? Because Deuteronomy is that, that connective tissue between Numbers and Joshua that contains Moses' last words to the people of Israel. That is what I call his valedictory speech. You know, that's been on my mind a lot because in the next few weeks, I've got two graduations coming up. I've got a college graduation coming up because my daughter's graduating from the University of Oklahoma and my son's graduating from Lee High School. And so I'm going to get two, possibly more, well, actually several more, probably graduation speeches in the next few weeks. And so, you know, as a, as a public speaker, as a teacher, I pay attention to those speeches when people make them. And, and, and so I, can, I really have learned to tell the difference between a good graduation speech and really just kind of a 
formulaic graduation speech. I mean, sadly, I think somewhere out there, there is a website where high school valedictorians can, can open up a template and fill in some names, and it's the same speech. And they can just over and over again regurgitate the same speech. And then, you know, there are other times when people will bring in a, a, a big graduation speaker, and that person will really give something insightful and powerful. Sometimes a student will just throw away the template and say, this is the, this is the experience I had as a student in this place, and this is what I hope I've been prepared for as I go out. But I always, I always feel like there is an important difference, too, between a commencement address and a, uh, and a baccalaureate address. Um, how many of you all, uh, do they still do baccalaureate services for the high schools around here in public high schools? Yes, no? Not, uh, at, not at the schools. Yeah, I mean, I know that for probably 20 years or so, that's something you can't do. But what is a baccalaureate? A baccalaureate is more of a, of a spiritual, a sermon type of address. Whereas a commencement address is more about, about you know, the accomplishments of the students. And, and I, always, I always think about that, you know, that, that the difference between a baccalaureate and a, and a commencement speech is that the commencement is kind of congratulating everybody for what they've accomplished. But a good baccalaureate speech should almost be a fire and brimstone sermon saying, this is how you need to be prepared. This is what you need to know before you step off this stage and before you step out of that door. And what we have in Joshua's uh, valedictory, his baccalaureate, his commencement speech here at the end of Joshua is really both of those things. Chapters 23 and 24 go together as both an encouragement and a challenge for the people of Israel. This is, this is his last speech not his last will and testament really, but it's, this is his, his kind of final parting shot to the people of Israel as they prepare to go forth into, well not really to go forth, but to, but to live into the destiny that God has called them to live in the promised land. Becky last week went over, you know, went over nine chapters worth of stuff. She was like, do you realize that you gave me nine chapters to cover last week? I said, I said, really? I didn't think about that. I thought I gave you 10. Um, yeah, that's, a, that's the thing about being a senior pastor versus an associate pastor. I let her do all the chapters I didn't want to bother with. Um, but uh, no, she, and she did a fantastic job really pulling out all those little pieces, all those little nuggets that are, that are, that are so often in those long passages. But, um, you know, but as, we, you know, as we look at this, uh, as we look at this passage, you know, what is it that we draw from this as God pulls us, as God shows us and, and lets us in on these last words of Joshua as they are getting ready to, to live into this destiny that God's given them. I mean, they don't have a big journey in front of them, do they? I mean, they are in the promised land, so they don't have a big exterior journey in front of them, but what do they have? They do have a big interior journey. There's the journey of maturity, there's the journey of knowledge, there's the journey of faithfulness, all of these things, because hopefully we are all progressing as we grow and as we live as followers of God, and in our case, as followers of Jesus Christ. So, so here is Joshua about to give his valedictory address, his, his commencement, his baccalaureate speech to the people of Israel. And, and I want to draw a, another parallel um, as you've heard me refer to the gospel before the gospel, um, you know, there's so many parallels between the life of Jesus and the life of Joshua, the life of uh, uh, the, the sayings of Jesus and, and what Joshua embodies. Um, I want you to consider, you know, look at verse 14 of chapter 23 really quickly. And now I am about to go the way of all the earth. And here's, here is Joshua saying, I'm almost done. My course is almost done. Like Paul, my, my race is run. My course is finished. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. You know, this is almost, to, you know, it's, 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 this, it's this time where he's saying, I'm about to sign off. I'm about to leave you. But I want to leave you with encouragement. And I want to leave you with challenge. I mean, when do we see that in the life of Jesus? Well, we find a beautiful, beautiful valedictory, a beautiful commencement, a beautiful baccalaureate speech in John chapter 13 through really 17. 
John chapter 13 through 17. You know, when does that take place? It takes place on the night before Jesus is crucified. And chapter 13 through 14 begins with the washing of the disciples' feet and the, and the, uh, and the, and the great commandment where he says that, you know, I, I, behold, I give you a new commandment that you shall love one another as I have loved you. So he institutes the 11th commandment at that point because he doesn't say this is something I want you to think about doing. He says this is my commandment to you. So that's, you know, when we think about our motto, that's the loving one another part. But he says, you know, he says, I'm about to leave. You look at chapter, John chapter 14, beginning in verses 1 through 6, and these are passages, or these, these are verses that we've all heard before. It says, you know, let not your hearts be troubled, let, neither let them be afraid, for I go to prepare a place for you. What's the, what's the key there? I go. I'm getting ready to leave. In other words, in the next 24 hours, you're going to see me die. I'm going to depart from your presence. Now, of course we know that he is going to be raised from the dead, but the disciples, even though they'd been, they'd been told that, they didn't realize everything that was going on related to this. And so Jesus, for the next three chapters, chapters 14, 15, and 16, talks about how he is going to be leaving and what they need to do and how he is going to encourage them even after he's gone. Because one of the major topics of Jesus' baccalaureate speech, his valedictory speech, his, his departure speech, is that even though I'm leaving, I am sending you another helper. I'm sending you God the Holy Spirit, which is interesting. He even says, which is even better for you than my personal presence. You know, we have such a nostalgic view of, wouldn't it have been awesome to actually be there with Jesus? Or if we had been there in Jesus' presence, maybe it would be different for us now. But Jesus even says that it's better that you have the Holy Spirit. It's better that you even have me, better than even having me personally present. And so for these, these three chapters, he goes on to tell them about the Holy Spirit. He goes on to tell them about the challenges that they are going to face. He says, remember John 16, 33, what does he say? In this world, you will have trouble. You're going to have tribulation. It's going to be bad. They came after me. Why do you think they aren't going to come after you? But in this world, you are, going to have, you are going to have trouble. But remember this, I have overcome the world. So he gives them both the challenge and the encouragement. And then what's the, what's the capstone of all this? I mean, I don't really think it's part of his speech necessarily, but the capstone of that whole series is the garden prayer in chapter 17, where we hear Jesus praying for not just his disciples then, but for his disciples and his children now. And so we have at the end of Joshua, just as at the end of you know, the, the earthly ministry of Jesus, of course, it's pre-resurrection, but but at the end of the, this, this, uh, this time of Jesus, we have this connection of this, I'm going away. I'm leaving you. You're going to need to grow up. You're going to have to stand on your own. And, you know, that's, that's an important part, not only of, of leadership. It's an important part of discipleship. It's an important part of, of parenthood. I mean, isn't our hope that that no matter, you know, I mean, all of our kids start off as infants, but isn't it our hope that over the years they're going to learn how to progressively take care of themselves more and more? And yes, people achieve different, you know, different levels of that. But, you know, my, you know, my, you know, my version of success or my rendering of success for my kids is not that they are always dependent on me. I do not want my kids to be dependent on me. I want my kids to be able to feed themselves, to dress themselves. I want them to be able to grow. And I, you know, here's the thing. Um, you, you'll hear me talk a lot about a philosophy I call PSI, Personal Spiritual Initiative. Yeah, I, think it, I, I think that it is a crime of the church if all we do is teach you to sit here and listen to me. If you think discipleship means that I tell you what to believe all the time, then, I've, then I have failed. Personal Spiritual Initiative means that you're able to feed and, uh, feed and dress yourself spiritually. It's just as important for me to teach you how to read the Bible for yourself as it is to teach you about what's in it. It's important for me to teach you how to pray or to you know, help people learn how to pray as much as it is for me to pray for you, 
to serve, to tell your own story. It's not, you know, a lot of people hire, they think they hire a pastor to share the gospel. It's like, well, no, you really hire me to help you learn how to share the gospel. And here's the, here's the thing. If you, if you have ever heard a sermon or a lesson or ever read any of the gospels, you have the good news. You have all of the equipment and material you need. All you need to do is now tell it. Usually, you know, people think about, about evangelism, they think, oh, well, I don't know how to do that. It's like, yes, you do. You know how to tell people about a great movie or a great restaurant or about, you know, a great sporting event. Now you just need to tell them about your great Savior. Just tell them about who Jesus is and what he's done in your life, and that's your story. We don't like the information. We like the will. That's, now, that's a harder one to cross. We'll get to that some other time. But, but Joshua is in that point where it's like, I'm about to go the way of all the earth. I'm about to leave you. And so here's some things that you need to remember. So first of all, he starts off, verse 23, 1. A long time afterward, when the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their surrounding enemies, and Joshua was old and well advanced in years, Joshua summoned all Israel, its elders and heads, its judges and officers, and said to them, I am now old and well advanced in years. You know, it's I've gotten more questions from this group and the Wednesday night group about Joshua's age than ever before. Everybody kind of has the idea that, that Joshua is sort of forever young, like he is in the Ten Commandments. You got Charlton Heston and then whoever the guy was who played Joshua. And he's like, you know, he's always the kind of the young strapping guy with the dark beard. You know, by this time, by, jo th by this point, Joshua's in his 70s or 80s. You're not exactly sure, you know, but he's, he, he's, he's not old. You know, that's, you know, that's, uh, you know, that's getting younger every day. But, um, but, you know, he's starting to feel like, you know, I've been around, I've, I've, I'm ready to retire. And, and it says, he was well advanced in years, and you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all the nations for your sake. For it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. So what is Joshua doing? He's, Joshua, as he is giving his commencement address, is saying, it's time for you to rise up as your own leaders. It's time for you to rise up in that spiritual maturity and have your own relationship with the Lord. I mean, a critical piece of my own faith development was when I realized, because of some stuff that had happened in my life, that it was no longer adequate for me to have a relationship with God through my parents. That relationship had to get personal. It was, I, wasn't, I wasn't a Christian just because I was a member of Eastminster Presbyterian Church. I was, a, I was a Christian, I was a follower of Jesus Christ because I had a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It had become personal for me. Um, that's what Joshua is saying to the whole nation. You can't just depend on me. You can't just depend on Moses. You, as the people, have to develop yourselves. You have to mature, and, we have to, and you have to move forward. Jim Collins who is a Stanford business professor, retired Stanford business professor, wrote a great book several years ago called From Good to Great. Uh, I don't know how many of you all read that. It is an outstanding book. And Collins took several, uh, several companies, and he, he really did some hardcore analytical study of those companies. He said, what is, what is it that makes one company, you know, say, sort of stay at a good, viable position and makes another skyrocket? Makes another just take off and become a great company. You know, what are the, what are the factors that take, you know, that take a company from just good to awesome, good to great? One of the, one of the factors in that, uh, in that study was that all of these great companies that made that move, from, that jump from good to great, had leaders that he identified simply as level five leaders. Now, what is a level five leader? A level five leader is somebody who realizes at his core, it's not about him. It's not about her. It's not about how I'm going to be known. It's not how about, uh, about you know, why I'm going to be remembered, although they always are. <laughs> um, it's about, you know, what is it that's going to make this company great? Starting with, am I setting up the next person to lead in a good way? Am I leaving this company in a position to progress and to, and to work without me? And level five leadership really, it really takes into account the need to train the people 
who are, you know, who are working at the second, third, fourth levels of leadership so that they become problem solvers and critical thinkers themselves. And so Joshua, again, look, he brings together all the elders and heads, the judges and officers that he's been training, that he's been working with all these years. And he says, I'm going to invest, I need to invest this leadership and authority in you because you're the new leaders of Israel. But then look at what else, what else he says. He says, and you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake, for it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. Joshua begins this speech by saying, it's not me. I am not the one who has brought Israel to the promised land and settled you in the place that God promised. Rather, it was God. God is the one who has brought you to this point. When lots of people approach the end of their lives, they begin to think, what is the legacy I'm going to leave behind? You know, the politician wants to be remembered for the good policies or the laws that he enacted. The, the general wants to be remembered for his victories. The businessman wants to be remembered for his savvy and his innovation. The sports star or the movie star wants to be remembered for their, uh, for their Oscars, their, their Tonys, their awards, their box office numbers, all of that. Many go so far as to think, you know, I'm going to be remembered, or I'm gonna, my life is really going to be defined by how people remember me. You know, that is, that is so much of a part of our culture right now. The idea that I am only worth what I will be remembered for. And yet Joshua says, the one thing that I want you to remember is that I didn't do any of this. This was all God. This was all our Lord, Yahweh, who brought us out of the land of Egypt and brought us into this good and, and beautiful place. And it is so important for us to remember. And we see that throughout the book of Joshua, but also through the book of Numbers and Exodus and Deuteronomy as well, that there's this constant reminder to the people that, that you are an exceptional nation because you've got an exceptional God. You know, you, you people of Israel, us right now, you're kind of a train wreck. <laughs> We're kind of a train wreck. If not for God, then we would be in trouble. I mean, consider, go back all the way to the Battle of Jericho. Go back all the way to the Battle of Jericho. The Battle of Jericho was God's proof positive that this victory would be His. Because we always think about the Battle of Jericho as... This miraculous victory of God where, where the walls came a-tumbling down after the people marched around and they yelled and they shouted and they praised God and God brought the walls down. And that we say, that, that's awesome. The positive miracle that God was with them and they succeeded and they had the victory because of God's power and that's all undeniable. You know, it was God's victory. But we also, I also want you to think back to the previous chapter. Not only... Did God conquer that city by his supernatural power? What was the status of the Hebrews and their fighting men up to that battle? What happened immediately before the battle of Jericho? They renewed the covenant, which, as you all said, involved circumcision of all the men of Israel. Nobody was in the mood to fight. Nobody was up for a fight that day. They were injured. They were wounded. And yet God still brought them victory. So God, he's not only flexing, bringing the walls down. He's saying, I can win a victory even with wounded, broken, and injured people. Now, consider that in our own lives. How many of us think that God can't use us because we're broken? Because we're injured? Because we're wounded? Because we've got something in our past that's going to disqualify us from doing what God really would like us to do. God says, I can do this even with wounded people. I can do this with broken people. I can do this with any people. All I need are people who are willing to follow me. Because it's not our victory. It's his victory that Joshua wants to celebrate. 
So look at verse 4. Behold, I have allotted you as an inherit to you as an inheritance for your tribes, those nations that remain, along with all the nations that I have already cut off from the Jordan to the great sea in the west. The Lord your God will push them back before you and drive them out of your sight, and you shall possess their land just as the Lord your God promised you. I mean, look at this. I mean, these are the three basic campaigns. You have the, the initial campaign from, uh, from here uh, when they crossed the river, and then they went up to Shechem. They went through, uh, they went through Jericho. Um, then they came down to the south, and then they went up to the north, which is what Becky talked about last week. I mean, campaign after campaign to, to occupy this land that God had promised. Let me ask you this. To whom did God make the promise that he would give this land? Did he make it to Joshua? Did he make it to Moses? Who did he make it to? Did he make it to, did he make it to Jacob first? No. Did he make it to Isaac first? No. He made it to Abraham first. God made a promise way back, and he kept it. But also think about what happened in the interim there too. From the between Abraham receiving the promise and it fulfilled under Joshua, what happened? Well, 400 years of slavery for one thing. 40 years of wilderness wandering. I mean, a whole generation dying. Well, not just one generation. I mean, one generation after Exodus, but many generations within Egypt dying. Things probably looked pretty bad. And probably there were probably quite a few Israelites, quite a few Hebrews who at some point along the way said, you know what? God made, God, you know, our ancestors told us that God made this promise to, to our ancestor Abraham, but as those are all wives' tales. Those guys were drunk. They didn't know what they were talking about. It's old myths. But what we see here is that, you know, 400 and almost near, nearly 500 years later, God has fulfilled his promises. I mean, yes, there are still pagans in the land, and yes, there are still you know, boundaries that need to be established, but Israel is now the dominant power in this area. That, I mean, in, in 60 years, well, not 60, what is it? Like 80 years probably, they've gone from being a slave people to the dominant power in one of the most important crossroads of of the world at this ancient time, at this time. Now, again, people look at this and say, well, it's not that really that big a territory. It's not an empire. No, but what if, what if, the, only, what if the only piece of the North American continent you, you controlled was New York? Would that make a difference? What if all you controlled was New Orleans? Would that give you access or any potential for wealth or any potential for power? What if all you controlled was the Panama Canal? I mean, that's, Panama's not real big, but that puts them in a pretty, pretty uh, powerful position. The Suez Canal, you know, whatever. You know, it's, it's not just about how much territory you have. It's about what, you know, what is the territory you control. And, and Israel is pretty much the crossroads of the ancient world. I mean, from the north, from the west, from the, uh, from the west to the east. God has put them in a, in a position to influence the whole world. And he's kept his promise. Verse 9. For the Lord has driven out before you great and strong nations. And as for you, no man has been able to stand before you to this day. One man of you puts to flight a thousand, since it is the Lord your God who fights for you, just as he promised you. Again, who's won all these victories? Who makes one, one God follower worth a thousand others? God. How many of us say, we can't do it, we can't pull it off, we don't have the money, we don't have the resources, we don't have the, we don't have the time? You know, a lot of times it's not that we don't have the money, the resources, or the time, it's that we don't have the will. God says, I am going to make one of you like a thousand of them. How often do we sell the Lord short? when he calls us to do something. It's just me. I, I mean, just the idea, I'm standing alone. I was talking about this last night um, at, at the Bible study. I, and I may have told you all this story before, but before, when, before we went to Poland, um, and, and right after the war started, you know, we, we were wrestling with, should we go? Should we not go? Will it be dangerous? Will we be a burden? All these kinds of things. 
And I just remember, you know, we, we, we sort of crossed the line thinking that we were not going to go. And, um, and I remember driving into the, the early Thursday morning Bible study, and these guys came on the news, this report came on the news about these six U.S. congressmen, Democrats and Republicans, who were all military vets who were going to, who were going to uh, Poland to, so they could go to Ukraine to see what was going on and report back. And, and they were going to, you know, they wanted to go and sort of make some military assessments. And I just got, I got angry in my car because I was like, dang it, why did they get to go and I don't get to go? Well, obviously they get to go because they've got, you know, the U.S. military protecting them. They're going to fly over in a U.S. military plane. They're going to have armed bodyguards. They're going to have military escorts. You know, why do they get to go and I don't get to go? Why, don't, why can't I have that stuff? And then I thought, well, wait a minute. I've got an army stronger than even the U.S. military, stronger than the Russian army, stronger than the Ukrainian army, stronger than the Chinese army, stronger than all of those armies combined because I have the armies of the Lord of hosts that will protect me. And you know what? If I'm not supposed to be there, or if, you know, or if, if the book of my days is written, it doesn't matter where I am, <laughs> whether I'm here or there. And so... I'm not going to let that be an excuse. And here, and here in, in Joshua, he says, God says, you know, or God, Joshua says about the people, he says, God has made, you know, one like 10,000. We often think that we are just not adequate or that God is not adequate to bring to pass the things that he's decreed in our lives. But he is. And he can empower us in unbelievable ways. We see that God supernaturally helped his people time and time again by giving them extraordinary strength, by, by using his own weapons like the weather and you know, all these sorts of things to defeat enemies, by striking fear in the hearts of the Canaanites, all these things. God showed up again and again to help them win victories that they never should have won. And we need to have that kind of faith, that, bold, that boldness, that strength, that courage as well. So, so he's saying, you know, all of these things, these are things I want you to remember, but what else? Well, this is not just encouragement. This is also a speech of challenge. What is it that Israel has to do if they're going to be, if they're going to be successful in fulfilling God's, uh, God's work? Well, first of all, look at verse 6. Therefore, be very strong to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from it neither to the right nor to the left. The first thing that we've got to do is we've got to obey the Lord. But I want to, I want to look real deeply into this sentence for just a second. Therefore, be very strong to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses. Okay, so we all know that we're supposed to obey God's law. But so often when we're trying to, when we're trying to obey, when we're trying to be faithful, we're trying to do that under our power. And we try to, we try to, to obey God's law as if it's something disconnected from God's person, from a relationship with Him. And I love it says to be strong in the Lord, or to be strong to, do, to keep all that is written in the book of the law of Moses. Stand firm. Remember what he said when they were crossing the river. Stand firm in the river. You know, ground yourself. Stand firm. Um, I'm not a golfer. I do own golf clubs, and I use them very poorly occasionally. I'm not a golfer, but I, you know, but I, I, you know, my dad's an avid golfer, so I'm always listening to commercials and stuff like that for gift ideas. Um, but uh, lately, there has been a um, there's been uh, an ad on uh, on the radio, and uh, it's been Nick Faldo promoting a new the, the newest piece of golf mojo are these new shoes. And I can't remember exactly what they're called, but they. But the whole idea is that these shoes are they're like they're like heavier. You know, shoe, golf shoes for the last 20 years, people they've been trying to make them lighter and lighter and lighter. And the 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 sort of the spin on these shoes is that they're heavier, and they're about anchoring you to the ground. And the whole idea is that if you are anchored to the ground, that gives you a firmer base, so that when you swing, you're you're getting more power because because you're because you are you are grounded you know and when i you know in my in my youth when i was in my late teens early uh, and early 20s 
I, you know, I was all into karate and I was into, uh, I was into martial arts and some things like that. And one of the things that they always emphasized in our training was the importance of your stance. How grounded are you? I remember that in football. You know, how, you know, how's your stance? How, where are your feet? What's your balance like? You know, the whole point is, is that if you're not grounded, if your roots aren't connected to the ground, then you're weaker. And so it's not about, it's not about just obeying one-off commandments or pectillas. It's about being grounded in our relationship with God so that obedience becomes natural, so it becomes strong. It's not about trying to memorize the Ten Commandments so you won't step across them. It's about loving the Lord your God so that, those, so that that sin never becomes an issue. What does Jesus say at the end of the Sermon on the Mount? There were these two guys who built houses. One built his on sand and the other built his on rock. Joshua is saying you've got to be not just, not just to obey the law, but you've got to be grounded in the law of God. Be firm. Be very strong to keep and to do all that's written in the book of the law of Moses. Verse 7. Make sure that you don't associate with pagans, that you may not mix with these nations remaining among you or make mention of the names of their gods or swear by them or serve them or bow down to them. Gosh, why does God keep bringing this up? Over and over again, book after book. Why does he keep bringing up you know, this, this issue of pagans, I mean, it's not like the Israelites have ever had a problem with it, right? <laughs> I mean, how long were they out of Egypt before it's like, well, we better, you know, whoo, I've been like, I've been three days without idols, we better, we better ask Aaron to make one for us. I mean, at the very beginning, I mean, God had, there was still sand on their feet from, from the shores of the Red Sea. And, they were in, and, and, they, and they, you know, there they are below Mount Sinai. And, and they're still turning to idols. Well, it wasn't just, I mean, well, th thank goodness they got the law after that. And thank goodness they turned away from idols and never had a problem with that again. Right? Remember Baal Peor? When... They began to intermingle with the Ammonites and the Moabites and they began to participate in the worship and to adopt the practices of gods like Moloch and Baal. And You know, what were those gods all about? Not just about cult prostitution and sex and getting your own way and watching TV channels that your parents didn't want you to watch, no. God, you know, the, the way you worship Moloch was to sacrifice your children. You know, sacrificing, you know, whenever, whenever it says that the people should not consign their children to the fire, it's talking, that's, a, that's a euphemism for you've got to stop sacrificing your children to this, to this demon, to this, you know, to this false god. That's, a, that's an issue our, our culture still struggles with. And you know, the reason that God says stay away from pagans is because it begins to have a body count after a while. You know, there's a there's a point where, you know, when we turn from the when we turn from the true and the living God, eventually, we also tr turn from true humanity because we're made in the image of God. One of the things that happened, you know, throughout both the era of Nazism and the era of uh, and the era of uh, of communism was to, to dehumanize. So you know, this is, you know. The individual human being is not made in the image of God. The individual human being is just a mass of organ, is just a mass of cells. It's not anything special. Not made in the image of God. Just, you know, just an obstacle to be overcome or a prize to be won. And that's what happens with idolatry. And God is serious about this. <laughs> Probably second only to the Sabbath is the commandment. You know, to, to stay away from idols. God says, first of all, keep the Sabbath, and second of all, um, stay away from idols. Maybe we ought to pay more attention to that. Not just idols like, like this, but the other idols that dominate our lives, human idols of all types. So, 
It's not just that. Be faithful to the Lord. It's not just that you stay away from idols. It's that you cling to the Lord your God. But you shall cling to the Lord your God, verse 8, just as you have done to this day. Well, hopefully better than you've done to this day because we know that the Israelites had a pretty mixed record of actually clinging to God. But again, it's not just about coming to Bible study. It's not just about coming to church. It's not just about reading your Bible. It's about being in a relationship with God. These are the tools to connect us to God. But you know, we've, you know, at some point we have to just we have to take that step and say, Lord, I know a lot about you, but I've never surrendered to you. I've never said you are the one who directs my life. It's always been, you've always informed my life, you've always accessorized my life, you've always uh, you've always supplemented my life, but have you ever really led my life? That's what he's calling them. He says, if you really want to see God's fruit in your life and in this land, then you've got to cling. You know, that's, that's the word cleave. You know, in other, words, in other words, a man shall cleave to his wife. You know, the two shall become one flesh. Here he's saying, you know, we're supposed, to, we're supposed to cleave to God like a man cleaves to his wife. Not just keep that person as a distant advisor or an occasional emergency phone call. You know, it's, it's a, you know, when, when we were getting on the plane last week, I, I had to give them my, you know, my emergency contact information, you know, as we were getting ready to fly across the Atlantic. And, and you know, I thought, I thought, well, of course, that's Morgan. You know, but she's more than, she's more than just an emergency contact number. You know, she is the person that, that I trust most in my life. But who do I trust even more than Morgan? I trust God. So he wants us to cling. But then he finishes with some important warnings. And I want you to remember, this is not the end of, this is not the, end of, the, um, uh, of the story. But Joshua concludes... Uh, verses, uh, verses 12 through 16 with some important warnings. He says, For if you turn back and cling to the remnant of these nations remaining among you and make marriages with them so that you associate with them and that they with you, know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you, but they shall be a snare and a trap for you, a whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish from off this good ground that the Lord your God has given you. What is he saying here? What is the ultimate punishment for sin? What? Yeah, the ultimate punishment for sin is giving you what you want. Compare, this, compare these verses to Romans chapter 1. God gave them over to the lusts of their heart. God gave them over to their idolatries. God gave them over to their violence. What is he saying here? You know what I'm going to do to you if you insist on living with these pagans? I'm going to let you live with these pagans. See what happens. See if they don't lead you astray. It's kind of like, you know, God says, that, that, you know, what is the ultimate punishment for killing somebody? You're now a murderer. What is the ultimate punishment for cheating on your husband or wife? You're now an adulterer. What is the ultimate what, you know, what is the ultimate punishment for speaking falsely about your neighbor? You're a gossip. And yes, that does separate us from God. Absolutely. But God says, I'm, I'll give you what you want. But remember, this is what you're saying you want. And when you're in trouble, run to that guy for help. Do not abandon God. This is all about abandoning God. I've brought you this far. Don't abandon him now. And then verse 14, And now I'm about to go the way of all the earth, and you know in your hearts and souls, all of you, that not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one of them has failed. Do we have that confidence? that every promise that God has made about us will succeed? 
That there is nothing, that there is no word that falls from his mouth that shall return to him empty? Now, a lot of times one of the things we have to wrestle with is the fact that we impose on God promises that he never made. (laughs) Um, We make it transactional. Since, you know, God, I did this, so you owe me this. You know, that's, that's not... Yeah, we, we do that all the time. But the things that God purposes for our lives, the things that God calls us to do, the mission that God sets before us, Joshua is saying, he will never let any of that fail. The question is, do you believe this? This is the question of Jesus at the tomb of Lazarus. I am the resurrection and the life, saith the Lord. He who lives and believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And whosoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Here's Joshua saying the same thing. Nothing that the Lord has said to us that he has authentically promised us has ever failed. Do you believe this? That's where he's leaving them at the end of chapter 23. So chapter 24, we'll continue, we'll wrap this up, and we'll hear his final words to the people of Israel. These these words were were really targeted at the leaders. Next week, he'll be talking about uh, really talking to the people directly. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of our time today. Thank you so much. It's good to be back. Um, Thank you all for being here. And let's close with a word of prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you again for the ways that you inspire us. Thank you, Lord, for your promises that never fail. Thank you for empowering us beyond our own limitations. Thank you, Lord, for using us even when we are wounded. And help us, O oh Lord, to remember that, that you have great plans for us and that you, you have given us the tools and you will give us the power to get us over the great challenges that stand in our way. We pray these things in the name of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you so much. And we'll see, remember last week is our, or you mean next week is our last week of PBS for the spring. So I look forward to seeing you all and and see you Sunday if not sooner. Thanks.